Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. As you probably know, we take fintech very widely here, right? And that is because I truly believe that almost any company in this world can be classified as a fintech company, except for maybe life sciences. So today we're going to talk about drones and how can you use a drone, for example, in insurance, right? Some insurance companies are using drones to assess the damages whether indoors or outdoors. And uh, before we get there, and we can actually use autonomous drones as well, there is a lot of work to be done in academia as well and in R&D. And that's why we're going to talk to Margareta. She's a professor at ETH in Zurich, and she's an expert on drones and robots vision, which is absolutely necessary if you actually want to use a drone to fly by itself. So how are you today, Margareta? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Very well said, Rudy. All right, great. So what's your backstory? How did you become a professor at ETH in Zurich and focusing on drones and robots vision? Yeah, it's a series of lucky uh, events, I guess. One thing led to another. I I don't have this uh, romantic story that I always wanted to be a professor or that I always wanted to work in robotics. I started working in computer science um, in the UK and then uh, computer vision captured my interest to do my PhD. Uh, So that's when I first started to work with cameras and laptops. Actually, it was a camera connected on my laptop. And then for my postdoc, I came to Switzerland the first time. And that's where we started to play around with moving platforms with robots and it was another lucky encounter the fact that uh, my expertise matched the hardware um, advancements of the time and we were taking part in the first team that led an autonomous flight based on vision only through that work and yes so one thing led to another and I'm still excited about this topic and still uh, researching it yes you have to be flexible, right? Especially when it comes to technologies that didn't exist for, for too long, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Like drones. So great, uh, great that you do this. Now, let's dive into this. Many people talk about self-driving cars, but less attention is being paid to autonomous drones, I think. What are the use cases for intelligent drones that can fly by themselves? And what are the challenges versus self-driving cars, which are already a tough goal for the technology, right? Yes, indeed. Yes, you're absolutely right. There's a lot more interest in self-driving cars. Um, I guess in terms of where the research is and what can be made possible, you know. Now, with respect to autonomous drones, just to open up a little bit the application areas, they're pretty unique in their ability to um, fly uh, vertically up and gain the overview of a scene. They are uniquely small and they can fly through openings, windows and doors. And, but of course, that says a lot about the challenges that we have to face, that we have limited payload on board, so limited resources, limited number of sensors and power supply and computational power. However, 
Um, these days, there are solutions, I guess everyone has seen drones flying around, carrying cameras and doing something interesting. This is all due to a lot of research coming together, a lot of hardware and software advances coming together into what we call a drone today. Now, the challenges are still big in the sense that we don't yet have autonomous drones that can behave really adaptively to any environment. We can see some of them working very well in, for example, in areas where GPS can be guaranteed and it's reliable. Um, but then in cases where we have obstructions from GPS, then you can see really the limits of onboard sensing. And that's where we come in, our research comes in to teach robots to see and to teach drones to see and processing all of these, um, if you'd like camera feeds and not, not only cameras, but also other sensors like a LiDAR, for example, to be able to give these drones the ability to sense where they are in space and what their working environment looks like such that they can avoid obstacles, for example. Very exciting. Now, let's maybe drive into even more into the topic. Basically, your key focus of your research is improving the vision of drones and robots. So is the biggest challenge the vision? And if we're talking about the vision, why is that so difficult for autonomous drones? Is it because of the sensors or is it because of the software? You know, like I've just seen a video somewhere where, where if you're driving with a self-driving car, you see a stop sign. If it's clear, then it's fine. But if somebody puts some stickers on the sign, then apparently the software is confused by this, but the human wouldn't be, right? What technology challenges are we talking about? Is it really the vision, the hardware or software a recognition? or also, as you mentioned, GPS, obviously, it's not 100% accurate. And everybody who uses shared bikes knows you're looking for a bike and it turns out to be on the other side of the street. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said. I think it's easy to compare our perception, our visual perception to what we think an autonomous robot, an autonomous drone can do. And we are, in some ways, we are very much more advanced and sophisticated as human perceptual systems and in a way that's what we are trying to imitate and even surpass in some cases and don't get me wrong in some areas of computer vision and machine learning there are systems that i think they can behave better than humans today but not overall under all the uncertainties that our world entails uncertainties are things like as reception as you say it's not always reliable for example indoors you don't have it or close to tall buildings or under trees and that's where then the sensors come in and the sensors or fusion comes in and you mentioned vision indeed vision is the um, the main perception sensor that we use cameras but it like to call it a robotic perception because we use different types of cameras and different types of sensors as i said before lidars or depth cameras infrared possibly to this end I guess what we are trying to do is to figure out which sensor works best under what conditions, how much to trust it. And the challenges there are biggest, the biggest in the perception in the software side of things to understand how to process all of that information, but also with respect to hardware. So that's why drones really pose some of the biggest challenges for robotic perception, because it's where all the advances in hardware and software need to come together to build something that is as autonomous as it can be today. So we need the hardware advances that will enable us to have enough computation power to do some decision making on board. 
and also process all of this sensing information. But at the same time, we need the sensors and the software to be able to process them in a meaningful way. And again, I think there, for people who are not in the area, the most immediate impression is that, of course, machine learning can do anything these days. Artificial intelligence can do anything these days. And that's not true yet. That's where we are driving this to, to go into. But uh, for example, when you're navigating down a street and you're seeing some of the window displays changing, as a human, we know that this can happen. The season changes and the trend changes, so the window display is going to change. However, when you are a drone and you're perceiving your space just with one camera, you don't have this higher level information. So what we are trying to build into our um, software is this higher level scene understanding that will enable our drones to be able to behave in a way more similar to how we behave, how we perceive our environment. I also wanted to ask, how do your drones compare to mainstream hobby drones like DJI, right? Because with the basic mini, you might have probably one sensor. So when it's landing, it might tell you that, look, this is not a place to land. The more expensive ones have six sensors. So they kind of know from each side like you're flying into a tree. So you said you're using different kinds of cameras, the mm -hmm. sensors, mm -hmm. and you have your own proprietary software, I guess, right? So ideally, I would say that with your drone, you shouldn't have any accidents outdoors anymore, right? <laughs> so... Is that the case or not yet? Uh, I wish, Rudy, this is the answer. That's why we are still in business. It is not the case. And that's where we should make a distinction between products, industrial available uh, products in the market and research that is being conducted in universities. Our purpose as academics is to look into the next cool thing and find out the gaps in what today's systems cannot do in order to dive deeper into the more challenging and riskier areas. Whereas the industry industry's purpose is to monitor what academia is doing and catch on to the first great idea that can be turned into a product and uh, sacrifice um, um, immense manpower in making it bulletproof and fail-proof or fail-safe. Now, having said that, what we're doing at the, at the Vision for Robotics lab today is that we are really trying to pose uh, some of the most difficult challenges for robotic perception to our drones, because these are really some of the most um, challenging platforms to work with for all the reasons that I mentioned before. So, for example, drones today cannot really work when there's a lot of dynamicity in the scene. There's wind and there's smoke and there's currents of GPS signal or... There, are, there is changes in the sunlight, right, going to, from dark to light and from light to dark. So we have all of these different perceptual challenges which vary depending on what sensors you are relying upon, okay? GPS, as I said, it works pretty reliably, but not always. So in my lab, we are using GPS uh, whenever it is available, but we try not to rely on it too much. And then using just the onboard sensors, then without any external godly global localization like a GPS, then you run into different types of problems, but you open up the door to higher level scene understanding. When you're looking at the world through a camera lens, what essentially you're perceiving is a matrix of numbers, the pixels that you are looking at. Now, how can you have a system that makes sense out of these numbers, out of these pixels, to group them together into, for example, a person 
or a wall that my drone is about to bump into. So it's all of these algorithms algorithms that we're working towards to build in what we call a semantic scene understanding, this higher level scene understanding that is not possible with GPS alone. Now, some drones out there, um, DJI, for example, they do have some, some perception of what the scene around them looks like, but they're not able really to cope with every single challenge that it, you put them through. So it, they're not really like you, you push a button and you can have your drone or your drones to map the area that you want them to map. So there's a lot of autonomy that has been built into the systems in the increasing level of autonomy in the... Um, most recent years, but there's still a long way to go. And this is where our research comes in to basically try to see what sensor we can trust when in order to build in more autonomy against the unpredictability of uh, real life environments. All right, understood. Now, obviously not everybody in the world is a drone enthusiast or a fan, Mm -hmm. and many people are concerned with safety and privacy when it comes to drones. And here you are helping drones to see even better. How would you alleviate these concerns? Like now, once there would be autonomous drones out there that can handle, as you said, change the scenery, the smoke, all kinds of things like this, should people be concerned that maybe they should never go outside in the garden without expecting that somebody is filming them from the top? Let me say that I am one of these people that when I, especially when I go on holiday and I see drone enthusiasts flying their drones in my piece of uh, serenity, the, my favorite beach in Cyprus, then I'm not very happy about that. Uh, jokes aside, I think that this is a very valid point to be concerned about privacy and about the use of of such technology. I think we all have different roles in these discussions that we need to keep up, keep making. So the discussions about where this technology is going and being critical about new developments and new advancements. Now, having said that, I need to also point out that one shouldn't be entirely pessimistic about where we are going with this because really drones can change the way that we do many things today. For example, automated crop monitoring for farmers to be able to ensure that they have more effective more more effective monitoring of their crops with respect to where we need to have more pesticides or for digitization of archaeological structures that would be a fantastic tool for architects and for people who are monitoring the degradation of important archaeological structures with time so there's a search and rescue right so there's so many potential applications that can help humanity and one needs to keep this in mind because um, we need to see this technology as every other tool, right? Like a knife. You want a sharp knife because you want to be able to save lives. You know, in the hands of a surgeon, the knife can be a very useful tool. In the hands of a criminal, the knife can be a devastating tool for humanity, right? And the same thing goes for... um, computer vision, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and drone autonomy. So it is a tool, and it's in our hands to figure out how to best um, regulate the use of this tool. And it's important to regulate and not uh, pose restrictions in its development, because we want this tool to change lives, to change human lives uh, for the better and it has the potential to change human lives for the better understood so i think the distinction is one thing is the tool the other one is the intent and what people do with those tools Mm -hmm. right exactly yes understood 
Now, you've mentioned all kinds of use cases that you can use drones for. Uh, maybe let's talk about insurance. Insurance companies in many countries, they already eliminated many of the claims adjusters' roles, meaning, for example, if there is a flood somewhere, the insurance companies would send their people to assess the damage and take pictures and calculate it, and they would be kind of decentralized. And what has happened in the last uh, few years or decades is that maybe they sent a little bit more junior people who just take pictures and they're uploaded from an iPad to the headquarters and that's where the experts are in insurance mathematics and they calculate how much the damage would be. Now, with autonomous drones, can these roles in the field be replaced as well? Because you could actually have uh, somebody sitting in the headquarters for the whole of the country and just send a drone somewhere where there is a insurance event, take pictures and and potentially even more, maybe even come up with the first estimate. What do you think, uh, where are we headed when it comes to, let's say, insurance use cases? It's related to search and rescue, but also mm -hmm. related to damage uh, assessment and recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that drones can have a significant impact in that market too, in uh, insurance monitoring. Now, we are not there yet. So we are not at the stage where one can push a button and their swarm of drones can navigate around a generic structure and give back to a mission expert areas of interest. This is an exciting area to work on. And little by little, we are trying to build in this type of autonomy to our drones. Why? Because we think that these are the cumbersome tasks that you don't want necessarily to have people to do. So in the same sense that you don't want people doing repetitive work in a factory uh, and you prefer robots to do that and you prefer to have people working on creative tasks, the same thing I would say for tasks like this. So um, you can use the brain power of these junior people for something more creative and enjoyable for them as well, instead of having them uh, running around areas to capture of images. In some cases, I guess this is also dangerous, right? If it's if it really it's really an area of a semi-collapsed building or something, or an industrial site that like the Fukushima that we had melted down, so we didn't want to send people over. So in cases like this, it would be the dream for a mission expert to sit on their desk, push a button and get the footage that is most relevant to their expertise. Now, whether this will be possible without any human intervention on site, I'm not sure yet. I guess this remains to be seen. So to date, for every autonomous drone, there needs to be a safety pilot. Uh, because we are not there in terms of being able to ensure autonomy. And I think the same thing holds for what we call autonomous driving cars today. So there is always a safety driver in charge. Now I think there are a few insurtech slash drone companies out there, more in the US than in Europe, and they talk about all these applications for insurance, etc. But I guess you're right. At best, this is probably something about putting a drone in the hands of people who are still on the ground anyway, Obviously, it's helpful, uh, better than to go into a damaged area uh, on your own, but it's not like a disaster happened 500 kilometers from the headquarters, right? Absolutely. So, so that's, a, that's the next level of challenge. Talking about challenges, you mentioned it's probably easier to work on the vision for a robot that is walking on the same kind of level distance than a drone that can fly up and down mm -hmm. left and center. Obviously, flying outdoors and indoors with the drone is also a next level of difficulty i would have thought right because absolutely I, it happened to me before the pandemic i was visiting paris and the and there was a gas explosion in the area and unfortunately a few people died and 
many were terribly injured and evacuated. The whole area looked like there was a car bomb, actually. And so we got out of the hotel, and then for a few months, uh, we couldn't get our stuff out, right? What the insurance company did is they sent drones inside the building to see whether that's stable, whether people can go in, which is what they did in the end. But I cannot imagine how they did that because it was very narrow. It it was damaged. So maybe you couldn't even go through as a human, Mm -hmm. not to mention with a robot or with a drone. So what are the challenges? Or do you have a different kind of drone for indoor use than the outdoor use? Mm -hmm. And and does it have to be, by definition, a little bit smarter or not? That's a good question. But I agree with you that also when you're describing this experience, I can only imagine that there must have been very experienced drone pilots to fly these drones through such tiny spaces because it is a difficult task, you know. And that's one more reason to push for autonomy because you would like to have your mission expert focus on their expertise instead of having to become an expert in piloting a drone. Now, in your question of whether we are using different drones indoors and outdoors, the answer is no. In the lab here we are focusing on not so much on the hardware but more on the brain on the software and we are trying to use small drones because they are much more portable you can use them indoors outdoors of course the smaller your drone is the more susceptible it is to wind but for cases as you describe to monitor a building i think they are some of the best platforms that you can have that you don't need to impose any weight right on the ground and they can navigate through windows etc indeed the challenge are great, meaning big. So we have viewpoint changes that are very different to ground robots, very different to the self-driving cars. We have maneuvers that can, can have a drone flipping, but it's very difficult to track the motion of the drone flipping in real time and also keep having an understanding about what your environment looks like. So there are the dynamics in the maneuvers of what a drone can do. And then on top of that is also the difficulty in in the environment that you're perceiving. So it's a different story if you are looking at a scene where many things are moving and change. There's people around and there's collapsing things and there's dust instead of nice, clear, very controlled uh, sunlight, etc. If you look at the difficulty, though, let's say you're flying outdoors, you know, you're surveying the flooded area, Mm -hmm. then you have the indoors, almost rubble, destroyed building, and then something in between, like an urban use where you have a car accident. What is the most difficult for you or in your job? The drone hardware is the same, but you said it's a little bit more sensitive to the wind if it's Mm -hmm. outdoors. You have Mm -hmm. trees and you have other things moving. I would suspect that to use drones for, let's say, documenting our accidents may be even more difficult than indoors or not? Yes, yes. Outdoors uh, conditions are much more variable. There there could be rain, for example, which uh, drone technology today cannot really handle. I guess we are, we meaning the whole research area, not just in perception, but also in hardware advancements, we're pushing towards technologies that can be employed across different scenarios. But it's true, the more controlled an environment is, like indoors and with controlled lighting and controlled wind conditions, then the easier it is to devise algorithms that can behave autonomously. Now, in car accidents, I think it would be an awesome uh, use case because you don't necessarily need to wait for the police to come over and check everything and make measurements. It would be ideal if you could have a team of drones that is taking off from somewhere close by and going to the um, structure of interest, to the scene of interest, capture uh, 3D reconstruction of the area. 
uh, and then have people moving on their own ways without having to obstruct traffic for any longer, whilst the mission expert could have a full, complete view of the scene. Now, whether this is possible today, again, I would say it is possible when you have very controlled scenes. And that's typically not the case in such scenarios. So you have people moving around and cars moving around, probably even um, uh, change lightning conditions, like uh, you have small clouds that change the colors of your scene as they are perceived from the drone. They can, they can even make a, an impact into the quality of the images that you capture and the quality of the, of the algorithms that are employed on board. In a nutshell, yes, this is an awesome use case. And as a driver, I would love it if we had this technology such that I don't have to wait in case of an accident. But um, today, uh, we don't, we simply don't have this technology yet. All right. So it sounds like uh, one more of a to-do list, uh, either for you and me, either Indeed. way. All right. Now, maybe one last thing, you know, which uh, maybe could be a challenge, like how long these drones can fly, because batteries are, of course, a challenge in many of the electric devices these days, right? Yeah, absolutely. Again, that's another area where throughout my time that I've been working with drones, I've seen a tremendous change. So this is an active area of research from colleagues in power consumption, right? Uh, and what makes a good and effective battery to carry on board. From our side, the perception side, we need to take care about what kind of processing we are doing on board that, and what kind of processing power it needs. We are hoping, and I actually think that this will be the case, that we're going to be seeing a longer battery lifetimes in the coming years. Um, but I have to say also that from an algorithmic point of view, when you're planning your mission, when you're planning the path of a drone, you can take into account things like this. How can I move from A to B without compromising my onboard estimation systems? That means moving away from uh, people, for example, that move along, avoiding areas that can cause uh, my sensors to fail, for example, foggy areas or dust, and also avoiding going very far away from my charging base if my battery lifetime seems to be running dangerously low. So you can really build into such systems the ability to reason about how far they are from their charging station. And in my idea of having a swarm, a small swarm of small drones doing an intelligent task, then these ideas could be factored in to have a truly autonomous um, swarm at the push of a button. Okay, wonderful. You know, it sounds like you're telling me if you plan ahead and you know what you're doing, Rudy, then you don't have a problem with the battery. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's in indeed. It's the same thing like you're going out of the house and you don't have food and you're hungry. So you're going to need to plan how you uh, refuel on the way, right? The same thing with your car. And all of this is inspired by the way that we do reasoning. We reason for our in our everyday lives. And that's where our perception of autonomy and for drones and robots comes into play. All right, great stuff. Now, maybe before we wrap up, I just have two questions for you. First of all, can you recommend some further reading? Of course, you also have great speeches on the internet when you were, you were a TEDx speaker, for example. But can you recommend some further reading on the topic on the drones, the vision, 
and potential use cases that are also commercial so they could be within reach in hopefully in the minimum in our lifetime of course yes as you mentioned i think it's uh, for the drone enthusiasts and and robotic perception enthusiasts i would recommend browse through our youtube channel vision for robotics lab uh, youtube channel but other than that i definitely regularly browse through wired and the i3 spectrum for some uh, if you would like lightweight articles on more intense research that is happening in the area. Great stuff. I'll put the notes in the show notes or the links Mm -hmm. that is. Now, what's the best way to reach out and find out more about what you do? Good question. Send me an email. That would be the best way. All right. So you need to read the show notes. Margarita's email is there. And you can (laughs) find out everything about robotics vision and drones vision. And if you are in InsurTech or FinTech, you can think about the use cases, how this can help you as well and change the business as well. So thank you so much, Margarita, and good luck to you and your team at ETH. Thank you very much, Rudy. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.